Good morning. It is so good for you to be at Central Church today. Uh, we are wrapping up today our sermon series called Enough. Next week, of course, is Palm Sunday. Two weeks is Easter. We've got a lot of great things going on in the next few weeks. But today, we're wrapping up Enough. And, and we've been talking about what does it mean to have enough and, and how can Jesus uh, uh, fill any void, every void that is in our life. Now, if you were to ask people, I don't think anyone has ever said that I hope to live an entirely mediocre life. Just give me a lousy life and that'll do. Yeah, a so-so life, I suppose, will be good enough. No one has ever said that. No, what we say is we want to have the good life. Give me a rich, full, satisfying life. Of course, our culture bombards us with ideas of what it takes to have that rich, full, good life. And it will have things like if you accumulate enough stuff, if your 401k is big enough, if you take enough exotic vacations, if you have enough wealth, then that's the ticket, that's the way to have a good life. But Jesus, as we all know, and we've quoted nearly every week, so what does it gain a person to, to, or what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, let forfeit his soul? Jesus is saying, think about it. It's not simply about the stuff you can accumulate or, or what's in your bank account or what's parked in your garage. Maybe the best way for me to explain this is to tell you about something that used to happen in our house, but rarely happens in our house anymore, back when Carla would make me cookies. I loved the chocolate chip cookies, and sometimes when she, and I loved them best when she would make them, and, and, and as soon as they were out of the oven, when they were still hot and the chocolate was, was melty and oozy and, and good, I would eat one or two or three, maybe sometimes four. I knew that if I ate six or seven, you know, they probably weren't as good as those first three or four. And if I ate a dozen, ugh, I'd be sick. We all know that. As, as good as they were, those first couple, by 12, ugh, I've gone too far. And I think that's, that's what the Old Testament uh, 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 author of Ecclesiastes, probably Solomon, was meaning. When Solomon looked over all the things that he acquired, Solomon, the, at, at, at that point, maybe the wealthiest man in the world at that point, he had it all. And he looked at all the things over the course of his life that he had gained. And this is what he concludes. Yet when I survey all that my hands have done and what I had toiled to achieve... Everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. What a sad commentary of a person's life. And Jesus is saying that, that the more that we acquire is not, is not the, the pathway to, to satisfaction, not uh, the pathway to the good life. It's not we need more, we need new, we need vacations, we need an escape. Jesus said, said on one occasion, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of the abundance of our possessions. And when he said all kinds of greed, we, we typically think of money. That's what it means. But it seems like all kinds of greed can be a lot of things that we can pursue. pursue. A better experience, people's approval, more, you know, Instagram likes or, or, or Twitter followers or whatever it may be. Jesus is saying, life is bigger than that. It's more important than that. I've quoted nearly every, every week his words in John chapter 10 when he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants you to have a full life, an abundant life. But that's not, that's not what's in your garage. That's not what's in your bank account. 
That's not what Jesus was talking about. In the New Testament, there are three words that are translated life. There's the word bios, where we get the word biology. It talks about our physical life. There's, there's the word suke, where we get the word psychology. It talks about our emotional well-being. And then there's the word that's used 275 times. That's a lot. And, it's, it, and that word is zoe. And zoe is talking about a, a genuine life, real life, uh, the, the abundant life. That's what Jesus is, is offering, the good life. A life that is satisfying and purpose-filled. The life that you've been longing for, the life that God wants for you. That's Zoe. Again, Zoe is not based on the number of possessions you have. It's not based on your money or your car or your house. And the question, I suppose, would be, well, okay, if that's what what God wants for me, then, then how does one obtain that? What does that look like? Do you remember the time a Pharisee came to Jesus? He wanted to trip Jesus up. They were, they were always tossing out uh, uh, things to try to get Jesus to be caught in a, in a problem or, 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 or to double back on himself. And so this Pharisee was trying to do just that. And he comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Now, you may remember the Pharisees had 613 commandments. And one of their deals was they just loved to kind of... Uh, 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 argue amongst themselves about which of the 613 was the greatest and they would they referred to those as the heavy commandments and the light commandments were the were the lesser commandments and so they would argue about that and and it would take time and that was kind of their their pastime they didn't have you know college basketball to waste their time they had this and so they would argue about it and so this 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 pharisee comes up to jesus and said jesus tell us what is the greatest commandment expecting jesus to give this long a monologue about what's the greatest. But Jesus cuts right to the heart. And you'll remember his words. He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, boys, it's very simple, Jesus is saying. Love God, love people, that's it. It seems that Jesus is saying that 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 commandment, that's the good life. You do those things, love God, love people. Then you can, that's the doorway, that's the entrance into this good life, purposeful life. Love God, love people. Notice it doesn't say anything about camels in your garage or bags of gold under your mattress. It's pretty straightforward. What's the ticket to the good life? Love God, love people. That's it. That's simple. Well, I suppose you could say, well, okay, how exactly does that happen? Well, for Jesus... That happened only one way. That happened, and I think for us, that happens only one way. That's in relationships. Jesus was, was loving God, loving people through those relationships. He gathered around him disciples, relationships. He took time with people, relationships. Even when the disciples tried to shoo the children away, remember that? Jesus said, no, 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 this is what the kingdom of God's all about. Bring them to me. Relationships. And concerning God the Father, he said, said in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. Can't get any closer relationship than that. The only way to love God, love people, is in relationship. You, you can't love somebody you don't know. You could be infatuated. You could be a fan. Maybe you say, well, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Miguel Cabrera, of the nearly first place Tigers. Uh, you, you, you could say that. And you'd be a fan. You'd be infatuated. But you can't love it. He doesn't know you. You don't know him. No, to love someone. You've got to be in a relationship. You've got to know them. 
And so Jesus is saying the greatest thing we can do, love God, be in relationship with God, love people, be in relationships with that. In other words, you can't be a lone ranger. There's no islands. No, no, love happens in relationships. What we say around here, you know, our four big priorities, connect to God, connect to each other, connect to our community, connect to the world. Saying that, we need to connect to God and connect to each other. Relationships. That's what we're talking about when we talk about this uh, growing together type of stuff. If you were here last Sunday night, we talked a lot about it. It's saying we want to be the church that cares about relationships, that we're connected to each other, no matter, no matter where you're at in, the, in, in, in this world of ours, you know, old, young, black, white, uh, same uh, uh, background, different backgrounds, whatever it may be, all, we're all one in Jesus Christ. That's the point. It's all about relationships. So it seems, if that's true, to have a fulfilled life, a good life, the Zoe life, that's fulfilling that greatest commandment. The good life happens when we're in relationship with God and his people. Moreover, did you notice, again, Jesus doesn't mention anything. It's not dependent on what my 401k is. It's not dependent on the house or, or, or anything that I can buy at Macy's. Those things don't bring fulfillment. That's, that's, that, it's all about relationships. And get this, kind of like what we sang earlier today. It's not even about avoiding the bad things in life. It's, it's not even about having the good life. It's not dependent on the storms that come or don't come my way. It's not having to not deal with the, with the junk of this life. That's not part of the bargain. Why? Because troubles come to all of us. At some point, troubles will come to all of us. Even when we're loving God and loving people, troubles may still come. And the good life, the Zoe life, the life that God wants for us, is the life that will see us through those storms and those troubles. I love the way David, in the, in the 13th Psalm, he says this. In the 13th Psalm, he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now, you would think, because David just said that, he must have just, you know, had this tremendous victory. Maybe he wrote this psalm after killing Goliath, or maybe after he defeated the Philistines, or maybe after he was crowned king, or maybe after uh, uh, he was married, or or after one of his kids were born. Maybe that's when he he wrote this psalm, because God has been good to him. But I read the end of the psalm. If you read the first part of the psalm, it gives you a clearer picture of what he's saying. And the first part of the psalm says this. Psalm 13.1 says, How long, Lord? How long will you forget me forever? God, don't you know <laughs> I'm here and I'm in trouble? That's what he's saying. The next part of that first verse, How long will you, will you hide your face from me? Doesn't sound like a victory lap. It sounds like he's in trouble. Verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thought day after day, have sorrow in my heart? God, how long is this going on? This has been lasting for a long time. I need your help. How long will my enemy triumph over me? He's enduring enemies. He's not finding relief. There's no help. Verse 3 and 4, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give me light for my eyes or I will sleep in death. God, I'm about to die here. That's what he's saying. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. My enemy will say, look at him. He's in the dirt. He's done. He's over. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Ha, ha, ha. Look at David in the dirt. 
But then, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of those questions and crying out to God and saying, Lord, I don't even hear you. Have you ever said that? In the midst of of these trying times, maybe the worst experience that David has ever had, that's what he's describing. Enemies are getting the upper hand, they're breathing down his neck. This is trouble, real trouble. But in the midst of that, with all that going on, that's when he says verses 5 and 6, but with all that going on, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. Why? For he has been good to me. How can you do that when there's all this trouble going on around you? Only one way. That's when God's power comes over you. And you're not, you're not living just for today. You're recognizing that God's love embraces you and will see you through. And in the midst of all those troubles, it'll be okay. Probably the, the worst, the most fearful time in my life happened um, when I was a boy. If you read my book, you, you know this part of the story. Um, and as a boy, we, we had a little pop-up camper. And my folks, we would take that little pop-up camper. It just had like a tent top. And we would take it, you know, on vacations. And we'd go all across the country with that little pop-up tent camper. And, and when I was young, I can barely remember this, but I do remember it. I was probably four or five years old. I think we were in Pennsylvania. I'm not sure about that because I was only four or five years old. But we went into this campground. We got our little pop-up camper all, all set up. You know, it was, was my mom and dad, my two sisters, my brother and me, so six of us in this little pop-up camper. We got it all set up, and we started to, you know, uh, get things around. When somebody from the camp came by our campsite and told my folks that, that we probably should, should pack up and go in town and get a hotel room because a bad storm was coming. Now, I don't know why my parents didn't pay attention to that. I don't know if they were trying to save money, didn't want to pay for a hotel. I don't know if, you know, is from Michigan and we don't get a lot of tornadoes here. Maybe if we were from Kansas or something, you know, you know or, or whatever, maybe they would have paid a little bit more attention. But for whatever reason, we decided we were, we were the princes. We were going to hunker down in that campground. And so that's what we did. You know, we all, it was getting nighttime, and so we all went into the camper, and the storm came, and again, I'm four or five years old, and so I think, I, I like storms. I've always liked storms, you know, and thunder, it never scared me, and lightning didn't scare me, and so it was just kind of fun. We were in there, and the rain started coming, pat, 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 pat against that, that, that uh, 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 you know, tent camper, and the storms and the lightning, you could see the flash even through like the tent. And it was kind of cool. It was fun. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think my mom thought it was all that fun. And I probably wasn't paying attention. I was only four or five years old. That probably the tension was rising in the, in the camper as it was teetering back and forth. And, and probably there was more going on with my folks than what I recognized. And we were just, you know, I know your families were perfect my family, you know, when we're in tight quarters and nothing going on, sitting in the camper, trying to go to sleep, you know, we were picking on one another, you know, not touching you, not touching you, not touching you. You know, Mom, Beth, Red took my blanket, you know, Pam's doing this. And in the midst of all of that, storm going crazy outside, where the kids were misbehaving inside, totally dark, my dad, who was a very mild-mannered person, I, 
I can only remember hearing my dad raise his voice a few times in my growing up years. My dad got up in the midst of with all this stuff going on. And I don't know if he was frustrated because we're still there and everything else and the kids were acting up. But he got up and he said, that's it, I've had it. And he slammed the door. You know, when, when, when it was just us in the camper, you know, I was all right. I mean, my dad, my dad never left us before. You know, and, and, and I knew that he would, you know, if my dad was there, we'd be okay. But now, when the storm was going on, and my dad was out of the camper, and then I started getting a little scared. No one said a word. I mean, we were, church, we were quiet as church mice. I think my, my sisters and my brother, they were scared too. My sister Pam, she started singing that old hymn, A Shelter in the Time of Storm. Maybe it brought her comfort. It didn't bring me one bit of comfort at all. I remember that night being a long night, being in the camper without my dad. The next morning, the storm ended, and I learned two very important facts. The first fact is, my dad didn't leave the camper. It was so dark, he just, the door was rattling because of the storm, and he just got up to slam the door to try to make it stop rattling. He got back in bed, but I didn't know that. He was in the camper the whole time. But I thought he was gone. I thought he was mad and slammed the door and, you know, went someplace. I don't know. But he was, he, he was there the whole time, the whole night. He was there, didn't know. We also learned that the princes are, are just idiots because we went outside. Every other campsite was gone. We were the only people in the campground, literally the only, everyone else had pulled up stakes and they were gone. <laughs> they all knew if a tornado comes through, you probably shouldn't be in a camper. And there were, there were trees that were uprooted, there were, there were limbs everywhere, and we looked up, and in the tree that our camper was under, there was a huge limb that had broken off and that had fallen but was caught by some of the other branches. Our family has always looked back on that day as the day in which the Lord's hand was on us. Because if it would have broke through, then this would be a very, very different story. Why do I tell you all that? When you're in the midst of a storm, maybe you're in one now. The Lord hasn't left you. He's there. You can trust him. He's by your side. It, it'll be Okay. You think, how in the world can this be okay? This is a bad storm. This is terrible. Maybe you're like David and crying out to God and saying, Lord, I don't know what else is going on. I don't hear, you, I don't hear you, you answering my prayers here. But God is there. He'll be with you. I think Paul understood what we were talking about. Or the, rather, the, the prophet Isaiah. He said, but now... This is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. When storms of life come, you are not alone. This, this Zoe life, this full life, this abundant life, doesn't mean that storms won't come. It means that Jesus will be with you. 
It means that you can count on him. It means that, that, that God's will will be done. The, the choir sang about it. In tough times, in all times, God is our redeemer. God is our healer. God is our help. God is all sufficient. God is all powerful. God is always good. You can always count on him. And nothing, nothing you can do can separate God's love from you. That's what Paul said. Do you remember his words? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying that. Paul is saying, you can have the good life. Doesn't mean the problem-free life. Doesn't mean the trouble-free life. Doesn't mean, you know, your, your bank account or the stuff you have from Macy's is filling up your garage. No. He's saying you can have the good life of Jesus Christ being with you. And Paul isn't writing these things while he's sitting on a beach sucking down a, you know, a Boston cooler or something like that. Paul has lived his life and gone through since following Jesus. Things were not always easy. In fact, he writes this, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is, on what is seen, Jesus, not, as, not on what is unseen. Since what we have seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul knew what he was talking about. He'd been beaten, he'd been imprisoned, he'd been stoned, he'd been shipwrecked. He was going to be executed for his faith. And yet, he is saying, you can experience the good life, the full life, the satisfying life. Here, that's a week from this coming Thursday. It'll be in the family center. We're doing it a little bit different this year, but it's still a communion service, still in the family center. You're going to like it. And then, of course, the next day is Good Friday, which is one of my favorite services of the year. It's in here. It's really the service of the cross, and it gets darker, darker, darker. I just love, love, love that service, and you're going to want to invite your friends to it. And then, of course, Easter Sunday is, is the big day, celebration day, and again, that's going to be a great service. But Monday, Thursday, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, it was a difficult night. We would all say that Jesus had lived a full life, right? We already talked about his relationship with the Father, his relationship with the disciples, and Jesus had, had, had fed thousands, healed hundreds, raised the dead. By, by any standard, it, it was a full, full life. But on that Thursday, Jesus knew the next 24 hours were going to be very problematic. Really tough. Jerusalem was a powder keg. And they entered, as Jesus entered on Palm Sunday, to the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, the expectation was that Jesus was going to be continuing to feed everybody these free fish and bread meals. And if you were sick, then Jesus is going to take care of it because he's riding into town. And if you were dead, well then, you know, you're not going to be dead long. And the Romans, biggest of all, the Romans would be kicked out. They hated the Romans. Well, the week went on. Of course, none of those things happened. 
Sick people were still sick. Hungry people were still hungry. Dead people were still dead. And the Romans were still in charge. And the crowd turned. From Sunday to, to, to Thursday, Friday, the crowd turned. And, and there was rumors that, 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 that there was rumblings. This guy claims to be the Messiah, but he hadn't done anything. Just another flash in the pan. Big promises, nothing. He's offered us nothing. And the disciples are nervous. What makes it worse is even Jesus' words. They're up in the upper room, and Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. If he's talking about Judas, they didn't know that. And Peter, big, bold, strong Peter, says, Jesus, I will, I will lay down my life. I'll, I'll, I'll die for you, Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. Three times, Peter. And those other disciples looking around and said, wait a minute, Peter, Peter, Peter? He's, I mean, his name is The Rock. Peter's supposed to be there. You're telling us that even Peter, somebody else is going to betray you. And then Peter, Peter, before morning is going to betray you three times? Right on the heels of that, revelation. Jesus tells those weary, worn out disciples, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I read that passage on almost every funeral I ever preach. Why? Because it's saying when we experience the good life found only in Jesus Christ, nothing can take that away. Not even death. That's why we read it at funerals. Not even, not even a disastrous diagnosis. Not even the bankruptcy. Not even a divorce. Nothing can take that away when we are settled in Jesus Christ. When we have Jesus as our rock. When he is our, it doesn't mean that problems won't come. They're going to come to all of us. I hate to break that news to you. It's going to come to all of us. The wind may blow. What's the old song? But the anchor holds. Lord, sometimes it's very easy to see our problems. It's easy to see our troubles and our worries. It's easy to get hung up in them and to think, oh, woe is me. There's no help. There's no hope. But communion reminds us just the opposite. We have tremendous hope. We have the king of kings on our side. We have the one that death could not contain on our side. We have the, our helper and our, and our redeemer and, our, and the, the lover of our soul, the miracle worker. Jesus Christ is on our side. You're the one that gives us the good life. The good life is only found in you. And so, Lord, help us to put our faith and our hope in you. Help us to be like Paul and say, nothing's going to separate me from the love of Christ. No matter what else is going on, nothing, nothing, nothing will do that. Help us to put our hope and our faith and our trust in you, for you are a good, good God. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. We rejoice in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.